Welcome to the Waitlist Podcast, broadcasting to you from the land of horses and bourbon, Louisville, Kentucky. My name is Tom, and I'm here, as always, with my longtime friend and colleague, Brad, and we are on the data science team at Capture Higher Ed. Brad, what is up, man? Dude, I'm feeling good. It's Friday. It Life is Friday. Is great. Uh, yeah, so uh, not not much is up, but I'm I'm feeling awesome. Uh, how about yourself? Outstanding. Uh, today kind of feels like a Lebowski kind of day. Can we can we say that? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious what you mean by that exactly. Oh man, so uh, the like big Lebowski. You're, you're like in your you're in your bathrobe. It was just the dude, man. If you've never seen Big Lebowski, it is actually a central part of the culture a little bit at at, at Capture Higher Ed. We had a, a Halloween. Uh, sort of dress up day and our intrepid CEO, Steve Huey came as the dude in the pajamas that he specifically bought from Amazon, uh, that, that, you know, mimicked what, the uh, the dude wore in the big Lebowski and we'll be in meetings and, um, they're getting heated, for example, and someone will break out. This is our concern, dude. Or, yeah, well, you know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. And everything just chills out. And that's some days you just have to have a, a go-to movie. For me, it's The Big Lebowski. Nice. I, I, I also am a fan of the dude's work. Um, I, I love all Coen Brothers movies, actually. So uh, that one's a particular favorite. But um, yeah, man, I, I don't know what it's like to have a Lebowski kind of day. I mean, I guess it's uh, waking up and is, is today a weekday? that's that's it exactly you have literally hit right on it uh so we actually have a a podcast with brad and i today um we've got a couple really awesome interviews coming up but we wanted to address actually a question that we got submitted to us uh, about predictive modeling as a follow-up to episode five uh, about sort of predictive modeling and sort of staples of it so we got a question about that and we wanted to address it but first we need to crack some beers. Brad, why don't you hit us up? What you got, man? Cool. Will do. Uh, so I am drinking um, the Django Hop Beer from uh, Boom Island Brewing Company. Boom Island is a uh, it's a little island in the middle of the Mississippi River, right, right near where I live in Minneapolis. Um, and I've never heard of this beer before, but the label says that it was inspired by the uh, legendary guitarist Django Reinhardt. Um, and it has uh, New Zealand hops. But uh, Django Reinhardt, for anyone who's not familiar, is uh, sort of the pioneer inventor, along with the great, great violin player, Stefan Grappelli. Um, and so I was like, cool, a beer named after Django Reinhardt. I am definitely going to have to give that a shot, if for no other reason than it is named after one of the finest guitarists who, who, uh, who ever lived. Um, but I have no idea what the beer is like, so I'm looking forward to giving it a shot. Absolutely. So my favorite style of beer is a West Coast pale ale, a West Coast IPA. And while I, so this morning I, you know, got, we got up and we, we knew we were going to record this podcast, but then I went to my fridge and I didn't have any beer, which is just a travesty. Again, a Lebowski kind of day. And I literally went this morning for my job. So this is for work to buy beer. And I thought, man, this is uh, this is outstanding. This is outstanding. So I am I am putting forth the iconic, some would argue, the first West Coast style IPA, a bomber of uh, Stone IPA, and it's just stellar. And I put it on ice, so it's like crazy cold. And so I'm really really pumped nice. about this. All right, man. So cheers. Here, let's crack my one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see how this goes. 
Uh, so I got to ask, man, if uh, is, is this a business expense that you're planning to write off to the IRS? <laughs> no. no. Uh, well, yes, maybe. I don't know. We'll just keep that between hey, us. Uh, don't tell anybody. Yep. Uh, I think it's a legitimate business expense. I'm throwing it out there. Your accountant will agree with me. All right. So the question we got actually submitted from uh, a VP of enrollment related to this uh, question that people often have about predictive models. So predictive models, as everybody knows, is built on historical enrollment data. And occasionally, you, most of the time we do this, you're adding in contextual data that, that give more sort of meat to the, that, that those data, uh, but it's built on your history. So the question becomes, how can an institution use historical data to build a predictive model and then apply that forward to a market that might be completely new or is in a developmental stage? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the crux of the discussion is, well, if all you know is about my past, then how on earth are you going to make any sort of assumptions about my future? Um, and, and the way that, that we would sort of uh, compare this is, is that uh, our job is something like that of, of an archaeologist. Um, and when I say our job, we basically train a statistical algorithm to be a really good archaeologist. So not us exactly, but uh, the algorithms that, that we work on. Um, but in your historical data, um, are all sorts of, of uh, using the, the archaeological uh, parlance. I'm going to Lebowski that for you. Um, there, are, uh, there are all these artifacts. There are all of these elements that, that help an algorithm understand what's been going on at your institution. Um, and uh, those patterns, no matter how, um, how much you don't think or believe that they're there, they are. Um, they might not be detectable to the human eye, or they might not be detectable through normal statistical methods, but they are detectable. And no matter where you've been in the past, the assumption is that your future is going to look something like your past. And so by making a bunch, uh, by finding a bunch of patterns and detecting a bunch of patterns in your historical data, it is not a far cry to assume that where you're headed in the future, especially in the short term, um, is, uh, is, is going to look a lot like your past. Now, I know that we're going to have people that say, well, that's not true. We have, we've had all sorts of different, uh, changes and our enrollment has changed. Um, but it's, uh, it's a, the past is always going to be a better predictor than you probably think it is. What's interesting is the question behind that question is really this notion of my history doesn't actually project forward to this particular population. I can't make any of these assumptions. What happened before, I can't assume is going to happen again with these. What you're seeming to say is that you actually can to a degree, not to maybe not a hundred percent will be the same, but there is actually a pattern that if you can look closely enough, that is repeating. The, the way that I would phrase this to anyone is you absolutely, at any organization, whether it's a college or university or a hospital or a business or anything out there that has some sort of data, it doesn't matter what your actual business problem is. You cannot run from your history. Your history is nested within that data. That data is going to tell a story about where your your organization used to be so for colleges and universities let's say in the enrollment management space you know you're a small liberal arts college located in the midwestern united states um, all of your majors all of the things that have attracted students to your institution in the past 
all of your sort of financial aid packaging and your tuition pricing, all of the types of um, programs that are offered by your faculty, all of the fascinating and interesting history of your university or your college that goes way back to its founding. All of that is part of what is causing students and faculty and staff to end up there. Um, and although the arc of that story might have changed considerably uh, over a number of years, over the short term, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to be able to outpace all of the information that we have in your recent historical data. Um, and it, 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 is a, it is an incredibly valid and an incredibly uh, important question to ask. You know, how on earth can the past tell me about the future when we are deliberately trying to make the future um, different? And our argument would be very much that uh, that's great, but you're not going to make the future as different as you think you are, as fast as you think you are. And therefore, trust the data because as we say at Capture, it's always better than guessing. It's also premised on, I think, an assumption that there weren't anything that was new or novel last year or the year before or the year before that. Yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's it's interesting because we, we tend to think that our, uh, our world is a lot different than it used to be. But probably if you looked at what everybody was doing, I mean, if you looked at exactly what I was doing a year ago, it probably wouldn't be that different from what I'm doing today. <laughs> um, now, now that being said, like if there is a tremendous exogenous shock, like let's let's throw out a hypothetical example of a major university scandal that is all over the news and has major public relations implications for a particular institution. Um, these are the types of things that a predictive model is not going to catch. If all of a sudden your yield takes a nosedive because of some, you know, criminal malfeasance on part on the part of the institution, let's just throw that out as, as sort of a vague example. Uh, in that case, I think it's it's uh, very important to make sure that you are not relying too heavily on a model and that you're basically saying. Um, we, we need to uh, listen qualitatively and we need to keep our ear to the ground and we need to understand the potential limitations of uh, a statistical model within this environment. But short of, of large um, external shocks, your data is always going to provide sort of a better roadmap than um, not your data. Um, the, the other thing that's, uh, that I think we'd like to illustrate is that that um, there are there are similarities that can be detected using uh, statistical algorithms. So let's say that you're, you know, again, we'll go back to this small, um, you know, private Midwestern college, and let's say that their their main recruitment territory for years and years has been Dallas, Texas. I'm just throwing that out there. That might not make sense, but I'm throwing out Dallas, Texas. It probably does. And and uh, you are you you've been doing great in Dallas. And then as an enrollment manager, you say, well, we've, we've done really well in Dallas, but we would like to expand to a different market. Um, and, and how are you going to predict how we're going to do in, uh, help me come up with another obscure random place, Detroit, whatever, we'll go with Detroit. So, uh, how am I, how are you going to know how I'm going to do there? And the statistical answer to that is, we're going to see how well you do in a place that is extremely statistically similar to Detroit and make some assumptions based on that. So the answer is if you've had zero students from Detroit, we can't tell you exactly how you're going to do in Detroit, but we can make some pretty reasonable inferences about how you would do in Detroit based on a, a similar Detroit, a, a, 
a cousin or a sister or a brother of Detroit. And so there, there, are you saying there's, there's, there's a very fine grained typology of a student, a, a niche perhaps for these institutions? And that those uh, students, they're not a monolith. That's not what I'm suggesting. But there's a, there is a commonality potentially between these that a student who's similar to the type of student who would enroll in Dallas uh, is going to be replicated in Detroit. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question because those are exactly the patterns that a predictive model is going to pick up on. If they were literally random in the way that like drawing lotto balls out of a, you know, ping pong balls out of a machine with what, however many are in there, if, if it were like that, then um, we would not well, be able to do our work. That's right. It wouldn't. It wouldn't matter. We wouldn't be able to pick up it, on any of these patterns. It wouldn't be completely random because it's not random. Ex- it, exactly. That's right. Yeah. That that's that's the point is that uh, there is a space between knowing everything and complete randomness where we can help you out a lot. That's right. The the uh, desire uh, for this stasis idea within recruitment is not realistic, and I think on a very very basic level, people accept that, but it still dominates in a lot of the perception. Um, about how you measure recruitment, which is very much, um, you know, frequentist, it's very statistically based. So it's like we have a certain percentage of people who accept our offer, et cetera. It's predicated on the idea of things not changing. And I think instead of the the question of can I use a historical uh, analysis or a model that's based on history in a new or novel situation, instead of that being a perceived liability, we would suggest that it is the only way that you would be able to move into a new market, that you're informed by something. Otherwise, it is entirely random. The other thing is let's let's also look at how you're measuring early success or not and how agile you are in your recruitment. So unless you're going into Detroit, you've, you're an institution that really has uh, – the bread and butter has been in Dallas – but you're going into Detroit, how often are you measuring the success of whatever it is you're sending or doing to recruit Detroit? Uh, are you, you know, like a lot of institutions where you're setting the strategy in the summer and then you're going to revisit it, you know, again in the next summer? In that situation, yeah, you're probably not going to see the level of success versus maybe a more a shorter term, a three-month reevaluation, shorter iteration cycles, that is probably the best way utilizing a predictive model that at least gives you some guidance, some strength behind your strategy, and then a shorter iteration cycle uh, utilizing data, whether it's online behavioral data, such as those in capture behavioral engagement or the similar systems, um, you know, looking very at shorter iterations of high school visit counts or, you know, uh, increased submissions from that area, web hits from that geographic area uh, after going to a big college fair. If you're looking at a shorter uh, uh, cycle time, then you actually can affect how successful you are in a um, in a new market way more than if you had, I guess, the, the most pristine and perfect model that could predict it. All right. Well, we want to hear from you. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are now on the um, 
TuneIn Radio app. We're on Stitcher. We're on pretty much anywhere that you would get your podcast. You can tweet at us at Waitlist. You can also become a friend of the show on the Untapped at Brad. I think you're a friend of the show. You should be. I am. I yeah, am too. I am. Yeah. You should do this. Uh, the Untapped app, man. It's great. We're the you, best friends of the show, man. There you, go. Uh, you can check out the beers we enjoy. So the beers we had today, you can uh, find out where you can get those in your hometown. Just search the Waitlist podcast in the Add a Friend section of the app and let us know what your favorite beer is. And we'll include it in future episodes of the show. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Cheers, Brad. Cheers, Tom. Have yourself a great uh, rest of your Friday. The Waitlist Podcast is a supporter of the Creative Commons and open source online communities everywhere. A link to the bump music used in this podcast can be found in the show description and at capturehighered.com forward slash waitlist. 